Hi everybody, I'm Ralph Benmergi. Welcome to Yehupitzville, brought to you by Pear Tree Canada. Well, we're in it all, aren't we? Now, there's a place I haven't been. I really should go one day. Um, it's Jamaica. And uh, when I think of Jamaica, I don't think of a Jewish community. Um, I think of the people who have moved to Canada from Jamaica. Um, but I don't know any Jewish people who have moved to Canada from Jamaica. Maybe I just don't get around enough. Nonetheless, there is somebody who can tell me all things Jewish-Jamaican that I could possibly want to know. His name is Ainsley Henriquez, and he is our guest today on Yehupitzville. Sir, how are you? I'm fine, and it's lovely to be talking with you guys. So, uh, can you give me uh, <clears throat> a bit of the history of Jamaican Jewry? When I'm usually asked, uh, how long have I been here? Uh, and I answer something like 265 years. Everybody says, look, wow. I said, no, but I'm not that old. Uh, the Jamaican Jewish community was founded by the capture of Jamaica by the British in 1655 from the Colon family, from the Spanish. And as a result of that, by 1656, we found that Jamaica, the Jews started to settle in Jamaica. I, I come from a, what was apparently an originally converso Portuguese Jewish family that ended up in Amsterdam and then descended into Jamaica because that's where we were free to be practicing Judaism. And I am not 275 years old. Well, you don't look a day over 200, so don't worry about <laughs> it. Um, you know, it's interesting because Curaçao, which also has an ancient uh, Sephardic Jewish tradition from, New from Amsterdam to uh, the West Indies, as it were, um, uh, seems to have the same sort of history behind it. Um, so are, in terms of the Jews that have populated Jamaica, would they mostly be Sephardic Jews or are they a mix of Ashkenazi and Sephardic? Well, let me start by saying that I'm very close to a number of the families in Curaçao uh, and have been for probably uh, 30, 40 years. And so we have a similar background and we also have shared relationships in terms of people moving from one island to the other. Uh, and in particular in the case of marriage. So are, are those people mostly Sephardic or Ashkenazi? I would say that we are originally mostly Sephardic and we certainly didn't have the background of being Dutch as the Curacao Jews have had with, Portu with, with Amsterdam. Uh, some of our ancestors came from Portugal through Amsterdam to England after England became accepting Judaism and Jews. And that was, of course, part of the story of Menashe in Israel and Cromwell. And so as a result of Cromwell, we were allowed to have also Jews settle in Jamaica as well as in England. So before Cromwell, there was no Jews also legitimately settling in England. And so the story is really quite fascinating, quite complex. Yeah. So when we think of Jamaica and Judaism, what is it that has allowed the Jewish community to exist over hundreds of years at this point? How, how, what was the key to the success of the community? Well, basically, I just mentioned it in the sense that Cromwell actually, uh, Manasseh bin Israel became a, a, an advisor to Cromwell. And Cromwell in 1650s was the head of, of England. Um, and and as a result of that, we were allowed to settle in Jamaica, but not necessarily get citizenship. So Jews were able to find our way here from either uh, Amsterdam, via England, or even in cases we found 
remains, cemetery remains or, 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 or markers uh, of people who we think must have come out of Central Europe. So in terms of uh, institutional life, um, when was a synagogue able to be built? Is that synagogue still exist at this point? Because um, I know in some regions they actually do exist for hundreds of years. What's the history in Jamaica? Well, now you've asked a very interesting question. We started to settle with the British in a little town and at the tip of the large harbour of Kingston Harbour in a little village called Port Royal. We created a village. The English created a village to be able to secure the Royal Navy's control of Kingston Harbour. And we eventually built a synagogue there about within 20 years of our settlement. But that was in the 1650s. But by 1692, a major earthquake destroyed everything in Port Royal. And we moved to what was the original Spanish capital, Spanish town. And, and then we started another synagogue there in 1704, patterned on the architecture of Bevis Marks, which had been created shortly before us in England. So that, unfortunately, is only now an archaeological ruin. Um, it's not been, there's nothing above the ground uh, because of fires, hurricanes, and earthquakes. Hmm. So we have lost much. Now, today we have an existing synagogue, and I would sh I sh I'm, I'm at fault by not bringing you a, 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 a picture or a, a video of the, of the interior, but it's also a beautiful facility, and it was started in 1880, after the fire of Kingston in 1882, and we have even restored it after the earthquake of 1907 and the hurricane of etc <laughs> it's a lovely lovely building and it's really quite special and it has a, a similar architecture of the curacao synagogue which was founded in about 1730 i think it is and 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 i know it well um but that's that's more beautiful than ours i have to give them credit but the Curacao one has a, a floor made of sand. Oh, so is that the same with yours? Absolutely. Oh, yes. It's not for bathing. It's for children to play in and to muffle the sound of anybody coming late. <laughs> I thought it was just, it was part of the converso idea that you had to sort of sneak around to be Jewish. And part of it was sand floors made so that nobody could hear you click clacking your way in. Well, it's also the same reason now. If you come in late, no click clacking either. But um, no, it, it is, that's the history of it. And I only added the other, the other version that I used, which is, it's great for the children to play. So come bring your children to synagogue. And then when you get home, you have to take the sand out of your shoes and shake yeah, them out, right? We are one of the five synagogues in the Western Hemisphere that have sand on the floor. Mm, and that's part cool. of our history, yeah. So what, what's the population of Jews in Jamaica right now? Small and, and diminishing. What happens to most of our congregations, including Curacao, and of course it happened in Barbados some a century ago, is that we go elsewhere to seek new opportunities. And so when you're living in a country with a population of three million people today, and when it was my when I was born, it was about just over a million. There were not that many opportunities, and so if you had the opportunity, the, the the financing to be able to go to get a, a tertiary education, you and and a wife, if that was part of the story, or a husband, then you didn't come back, and uh, that's what has happened to us. Uh, it's more than that, because it it also includes the aspects of. Uh, assimilation, and so we have hundreds of thousands of Jamaicans who have at least one Jewish ancestor. 
Hmm, interesting. And so what is it that keeps you wanting to keep this alive? What, what, what drives right. you in that <laughs> I think once you've been born into a Jewish family and, you are, and you've been, if you're a boy or a, man, a woman, you've been bar mitzvah or bat mitzvah because we, are, we recognize both. Um, you know, why, what makes you want to change your belief system? Um, and one of the problems we had was that, of course, if you marry a non-Jew, then the ability to have conversion to Judaism, and particularly rabbinical conversion, was not an easy or acceptable relationship. I happened to be in a slightly different position because my late wife and the mother of my children was a Catholic believer and took the decision to convert to Judaism many, many years, 60 years ago. So yes, I have, I have a totally different exposure to the fact that I being, I wouldn't say passionate, but certainly a believing Jew uh, and an active Jew, I was blessed with the idea that my wife uh, converted to Judaism and died as a Jewess. And mm. all my children well, I'm and sorry grandchildren. Sorry to hear of her passing. Well, that was years ago. And, and all my mm -hmm. children and grandchildren, our children and grandchildren, are, are, are practicing Jews. So let's talk about the practice. Is there, is it conservative, orthodox, reform? Does it not really matter? Everybody's welcome? What, what, what's the, the cultural vibe of, of the community? Well, that's an interesting question because a lot of our, of our Seder practices, our, our services, are based on the Sephardic tradition of England. And our major, um, shall we say, text is, is based on the Gasta prayer book out of England. Uh, but we have modified it to a certain extent to become less orthodox, if you wish, uh, but without losing that basic tradition of being a Sephardic Jew. Jew. Um, in that sense, we are now have women being called for the Aliyah for reading the Torah, and, 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 and. So in that sense, we are, um, I, I don't know how to describe it, because we, we have not had to have a, a relationship with other congregations to any extent that advised us as to what we should do. We have taken the decisions ourselves. When it comes to things like being kosher, is that possible? It's very difficult because of the absence of a shochet and the ritual killing. But other than that, there have been and there are now uh, a small congregation in another part of Jamaica, in Montego Bay, which is, has a, a Chabad rabbi, and he, in fact, is making sure that he keeps kosher and anybody else who wishes to keep kosher can work through him for all the kosher food that they need or require. And he even delivers even to Kingston. And I am privileged to say that he's a friend of mine, so if I need anything kosher, he'll send it for me. Mm. We can get you your order of matzah too, I might have. Uh, well, we've been using matzah from after World War Two. I grew up <laughs> I grew up no, that's an interesting point. I grew up in a in a with three mothers. My mother decided to divorce my father when I was two years old. But my grandmother, my mother's mother, actually was born and grew up in the Ukraine. So, you know, don't ask me to give you any blessings for Putin. Um, <laughs> so and she she her, my grandfather died very young, when my mother was very young. So my grandmother, my grand-aunt, and my mother were the three people that I grew up in. And during the war, 
we all lived in a plantation in the distant part of away from Kingston and we had no access to anything that such as matzo. So we celebrated, and this is a story that I like to tell, we celebrated Pesach using cassava wafers, not bread. Wow. So, How yes, do they taste? They were lovely. I could still eat. I could still have some more today. <laughs> no, I, I, I'm scared this because we didn't get to be able to get gas to drive to Kingston. And in those right. days, you know, to take a horse and buggy to Kingston, uh, I'm a little older, I'm a little younger than that was necessary. How else has Jamaican culture affected the Jewish culture? Uh, I think it's the other way around. I think the Jamaican culture has affected the, Jama uh, the Jewish culture has affected the Jamaican culture. And I use the example of Saturday soup. One of the traditions of Jamaica today is having soup on Saturday. And that came out of our households in the various districts where we are, or towns or villages where we settled, that we would put the pot on the fire for Friday night and have soup on Saturday. And it's still a Jamaican tradition all over the country. So we have implemented that, well, we've advised of that, of that tradition that does become part of the Jamaican culture. Otherwise, I don't think that there's any uh, other relationships that I can speak of between either the Christian Jamaican community or the Jewish Jamaican community. Is there any tension? Is there any uh, anti-Semitism that you know of? I am fairly prominent. I happen to have been and still am the Jamaican the Israeli consul for the last 20 odd years. I have been the head of the Jamaican National Heritage Trust, a government agency. I have, I have, I have. Don't ask me too many questions. And nobody has ever said, you're a Jew. You shouldn't be there. Hmm. That's lovely, isn't it? It's fascinating. I must tell you the truth. And there are certain techniques that we have used, I think, not overtly particularly, but subjectively, uh, to make sure that we are recognized as Jamaicans and not only Jamaicans, but as Jewish Jamaicans, as opposed to Catholic Jamaicans, as opposed to even Islamic Jamaicans. So our recognition of our recognition of the right to believe, as each of us wishes to believe, is given to all of us, and that's a very interesting experience for a country with all the various religions in its bosom. So there's a, a, a culture of tolerance that. It allows us it's a cultural tolerance, to... but it's also a recognition that we uh, want everybody to believe as they as they wish. Um, so yeah. that cultural tolerance, which which works, and and it's not a problem for us uh, in Jamaica. Um, I, I can even I can even boast and share with you something that um, I think it's it's interesting. Uh, can I say I'm proud of it? I'm not sure. Um, but I've actually taken Louis Farrakhan to synagogue. Hmm. And you know who Louis Farrakhan is. Oh, yes. yes. <laughs> and he has sat in service with me for the whole of the Shabbat service. So how did you manage that? Well, again, it's part of the Jamaican story. Louis, Louis Farrakhan's father came from Jamaica and he visited Jamaica. And then one day he expressed an interest in meeting, going to the synagogue. And that ended up with the purpose of or the invitation to attend the service. And so he did, and it was quite a remarkable experience, and it's a recorded experience, and I have shared that experience with uh, Jewish institutions. What did, what, as someone who was quite outspoken about being 
uh, anti-Semitic in America. Um, what was it that he did that he experienced? What did he say about the experience of oh, being yes. in Syria? Oh, it was a fascinating experience. And a couple of times there was since his, he had been in Jamaica, I met with him. I mean, this is not a question of you know stick a knife in my stomach. This is a question of two people recognizing each other has different beliefs, and but at the same time can talk to each other. But did he say he appreciated something that he didn't know before? Or what did I, he say? I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that he did. I mean, I can't remember the details of the conversation, but it's recorded and it's available. Um, but yes, it, it was something that he was appreciated. Hmm. So what, uh, if you had to give advice to Jewish communities that aren't large, uh, can uh, fade away, what would you say would be some of the things that a Jewish community should focus on to make sure that they stay vibrant and alive? That's almost impossible to give you uh, an answer on simply because young people go away to study. They find different relationships. They experience different opportunities. And in many instances, they want to be where they are, see a future for themselves. And so in that sense, I have three daughters. One was just here fixing the microphone to me, but she lives in Syracuse. She has three sons, and they're all practicing Jews, and she herself is a director of her synagogue in Syracuse. So am I going to bring them back to Jamaica? I would love to. But what are they going to do? What are they going to live towards doing? What are their children going to find as opportunities now that they're graduating from high, from college? Uh, and I have two other stories except one story now is a very interesting story. My middle daughter has now decided that she is going home. So she has gone and become a Portuguese citizen and lives in Portugal and her daughter has just joined her. So here you have, here you have a woman that grew up in Jamaica, highly recognized as an artist in Jamaica and elsewhere and has decided that Portugal is where she wants to live. Hmm. Now, and your other daughter? Uh, the other one is in Boston, in Boston, and she's an active Jewish woman, too, with three children. I am always fascinated by what being diasporic has done for Judaism. I know that there's always been this yearning for Israel in the, in the mythologies and in the, in the storytelling, but do you think that there's something that has added to who we are as people by the fact that we have lived in all these different places around the world? That's a very interesting question. Let me put it another way. I was blessed by growing up on a plantation in, in silence, so to speak. When I say silence, during the war, there was no telephones, there was no car horns blowing. Music was what you could find occasionally on a gramophone. Um, radio, was, radio was something, you'd, you know, eight and seven and eight years old you didn't want to listen to um, because there was nothing else on it except somebody talking. And so when it came to my opportunity to go to university, I was a, a privileged to be able to go to university in England. And in England, I discovered a Jewish community. I discovered not only a Jewish community, I discovered an Orthodox Jewish family who had been in Jamaica during the war, having been saved from the Holocaust. And there was a place in Jamaica called Gibraltar. The Gibraltar camp is where 600 Jews were saved from the Holocaust. And the, one of the people there was a woman who came and brought her family here. And she went back to England after the war, married her fiancé, and became my family in England as an Orthodox kosher family in England. And I used to take her husband to the Ashkenazi 
synagogue in London when I was in their home with them on a Shabbat or on a weekend. So, you know, my exposure became now, as a, as a diaspora, a wide exposure. Not only did it work in that direction for me, but I became president of the Jewish club in, at the university. And I became part and parcel of the undergraduate council for Great Britain, Jewish council. So what did that mean? It, it meant that I became active in Jewish life from as far as the early six, late 60s. Hmm. So for you, it was a great benefit. For me, I mean, I've had a wonderful, wonderful Jewish life. Everybody wants me to write the book. And why aren't you writing a book? I don't speak Hebrew. <laughs> no, <I> don't. <laughs> you don't need to <laughs> write it in English. There's <laughs> no end. Um, let's talk about the future. I, um, I know a lot of people leave Jamaica looking for a better economic life, uh, certainly here in Canada. We have a, a large and vibrant uh, Jamaican community, and a lot of the people. Of if you, if you, yeah, if if you're in a conversation, it's like we left because we we wanted opportunity for our kids that we didn't see in Jamaica. What's the future of the Jewish community in your eyes uh, in Jamaica? The future of ourselves, so close to the United States, the ease of migration, the acceptance to relationships. If I would to identify, I must have at least 20 to 25 cousins that live in Canada today, Jewish cousins, uh, and also maybe the same amount in, or more in, in, in the United States. It's not a great future. In fact, one of the very real concerns that I have uh, for what I have been in, privileged to do in Jamaica for the Jewish community is to make sure that even if we do not have uh, a minyan anymore, even if we do not have enough Jews living here to be able to run a Jewish community, that we at least leave the physical remains of our, of our, of our settlement here for now, it's nearly 300 years, uh, with the ability to everybody else to be able to see who we were. Oh, sorry, did I say 366, 66? No, nearly f going 400 years. It's, it's a, just it's just a long story that needs to be restored to be maintained because it's part of a history of the people of Jamaica. It's not just Jews. Mm -hmm. I think that's a stretch that I want to share. We are not in isolation because we are a Jewish community. We are part of a community of assimilation and then evolution, and I'll share that with you. Up until 1831. Even though we were allowed to settle here nearly 200 years before, we were not accepted as citizens. It changed in 1831. And as a result of that, we have been involved fully in all aspects of Jamaican life. Lawyers, doctors, politicians, you name it, we've been there. Me too. And so it's, 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 it's a demonstration to the rest of the world, if you want me to put it uh, as bluntly as that, that Jews in communities are participating in the community, which means that if the opportunities are created, then they can stay. If the opportunities are not there, then maybe the youngsters will leave and maybe the communities will die. But at least we want to leave a physical legacy to go with the, the historic legacy of a community in the diaspora. And, and what's the name of the uh, synagogue again? Share Shalom. Then it's, it's in it's uh, Kingston, or it's in Kingston today. We've had synagogues in Spanish Town, and we've had synagogue in Montego Bay. Um, we've had homes which have 
the Maganda Vedin there, which uh, in the do in the in the in the transom to indicate that it's a Jewish home, and be, people would have prayed there maybe a hundred plus years ago, uh, when transportation was not a, something that you did quickly and easily. Um, and so these are part and parcel of the stories we had at one stage. Twenty-one Jewish cemeteries. Twenty-one Jewish cemeteries. Wow. Because if you lived somewhere and you're in a village and you started a lot of Jewish life started as shopping shop shopkeepers in communities and so you lived and had families and others joined you and then people died you'd have a cemetery created for maybe six eight ten fifteen people so that becomes part and parcel of our heritage and so it's, it's a fascinating story in Jamaica but then after 1831 we were able to become much more integrated in the society and I argue the question there becomes evolutionary in being able to participate fully. And we became elected to the legislature. We became everything that anybody can think of in a, in a mm -hmm. society. And in, in my case, I'm, 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 I'm being immodest now. But I've been put in charge of Jamaica's Jewish, in charge of Jamaica's heritage by the government for years. I mean, it's old enough now for me to retire. But that's only part of what I've been privileged to do. You know, a white-looking Jew in charge of a black Christian country's heritage. <laughs> it's unique. It is. It's fascinating. Now, I insist you really but should write this right. book. Just I mean, it, it can't. It can't just be a synagogue that's sitting there. You got to write the book. Well, that, <laughs> I, I promised my wife I will do that <laughs> one day. Well, then you got to do it. Yes, I will do it. I, 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 I'm, I'm the very I, I really hope you do because it's a beautiful history and uh, it's it, you fascinating. Know, you, you, fascinating. Yeah, and you know so much about it. Why? Why should we not learn the story ourselves? Well, one of the very interesting things that I you will probably find out that if you Google me or something, you'll find that I'm well known as a genealogist. And part of the reason I'm a genealogist is simply because. I wanted my children to know something of what I know, and more even. And that is a grandmother who was born in the Shepetovka village in the Ukraine, and her mother fled to the United States in 1896, I think it is. And I happened to know my great-grandmother as a little boy, because after the war I was able to travel to America. So that's a whole other story again. And she spoke no mm -hmm. English, and she spoke only Yiddish. And so uh, all of these stories come together. The fact that my late wife became Jewish, and who is she? Her father was Chinese from China. So I have wow. to tell them. I said, the only thing you're not is Eskimo. <laughs> well, Ainsley, I, I love uh, speaking with you. I really do hope you write the book. Uh, Ainsley Hen Henriquez has been my guest. This has been Yehopisville, sponsored by Pear Tree Canada, reducing the after-tax cost of giving for Canadian major gift donors. Learn more at peartreecanada.com. I'm your host, Ralph ben Murgi. Our producer is Michael Freeman. Our music is by Louis Samayo. And if you want to travel with us across this great country and around the world visiting more small Jewish communities, subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to hear more of my work, I host another podcast called Not That Kind of Rabbi. Anything else you'd like, including my book, I Thought He Was Dead, it's at ralphbenmergy.ca. And if you want to hear more Canadian Jewish stories, you can find them at the Canadian Jewish News' website, cjn.ca. Thanks, and we'll see you next time in Yehopitzville. Bye. <laughs>